my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Amy, it's going to be so much fun today because it's about our favorite topic, money, money, money. All the things about all the money. <laughs> Farnoosh is an incredibly popular personal finance expert and a contributing editor to Oprah Magazine. On top of that, she is somehow also a best-selling author and the host and creator of the amazing podcast, So Money, which Sam and I were just on. So Farnoosh, Amy and I are so excited to have you on. We have literally a bundle of questions for you, not just about <laughs> money, but also about your own journey. And we wanted to start by just asking you, how do you make money? Ooh, <laughs> I'm laughing nervously, this nervous laugh. I think this is such a great question to start with. Um, the way that I make money is through content, largely. And there's the podcast that I host, which is called So Money. It's been five years, almost six years uh, in, the, in, the, in the running. 
And through that, there's obviously sponsorships and brand partnerships. Um, I, I've written books, and so that obviously has revenue streams. Speaking, um, some uh, workshops as well, which uh, was something that I have been doing in the last few years. And this is advice for everybody. No matter what field you're in, there's what you do, and then there's what you know. Are you monetizing what you know? We all monetize what we do, which is – I, you know, if you're an accountant, you do people's taxes. Uh, if you're a teacher, you teach math. If you're a podcaster, you do your podcast. But you know so much too about the process of that, uh, of the behind the scenes, of the process of how you got there, that people want to learn that. And there's there's a business there. So I teach how to podcast. I teach how to publish a best-selling book. I teach how to get press and media, which is the other thing that I, I do a lot of. Uh, but I, of course, it doesn't make a, a lot of money, but I think it does lead to opportunities. And it kind of, it's a, it's a distinguisher, it's a differentiator. Uh, for someone in my field, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I pride on the fact that, you know, I've, I've, and like, you know, you, Sam, you know, you built a career on a lot of media and, you know, sort of that you become the go-to person in your field, there's there's a value to that, right? It's what gets you the book deals. It's what gets you um, opportunities. So I really, I, I really value that. Yeah, no, I, I started my career really in personal branding out of business school. And I would represent people like you or like me before I was me. And yeah. what's interesting is that I feel like over time, there's become more opportunities to monetize your personal brand than there ever were before. I, I would love to go back also to your childhood. You grew up in Massachusetts. You were born here, but your parents were immigrants. How did that impact you? It was, it was hard and also uncomfortable at times, I'll be very honest. You know, the part of Massachusetts that I grew up in was a very white area, like a lot of towns in America. It was a very white, um, Christian, um, Irish Catholic specifically, a lot of uh, in my town. And and so I only had one Jewish friend at school. So I, I, I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like an other. You know, I'm a for as far as Iran, Iranians can be very white skin like me, or they can be very dark skin. And I have both of those people in my family. And I, um, so I wasn't like, I, I looked white, I read white, but I was, my name was like, what the hell? Farnoosh. Like the, the R would get dropped because it's Worcester and boss, you know, Farnoosh was like the name that everybody called me. <laughs> like, forget it. You don't have an R in your name. We're just, that is established. Um, I was very much bullied for the first, I would say five years in school. Not, not terribly. And, you know, I, I was smart enough, I think, to know that they were the ones who had the problem and not me, but still as a young person and even as an adult, you want to feel accepted. And I, but all of that said and done, I do think I would, I wouldn't change my childhood. I think that it really created the woman that I am today. I changed schools a lot. So that was just one time that I changed schools, but I changed schools multiple times. My parents were always moving, mainly because my dad would get promoted at work. And then the first thing they'd want to do is go to get a nicer house in a nicer neighborhood with better schools. I mean, I think anyone listening can 
know someone or is that person whose family was always is on the hunt for the American dream, right? And so I was always having to introduce myself. I was always the kid with all eyeballs on her. You know, I always tried to like talk to people, try to make peace even with the bullies. Uh, it was just something that I was a survival skill for me, you know. Well, so you talk about how you, you, your parents were on the hunt for the American dream. Did you know that that was happening when you were a child? Like, did your parents talk with you about money? Early on, I got a lot of lessons about money. I, I got lessons on how to use it as a tool to get what you want, but also that if you're in a marriage, it's going to maybe be a, a problematic topic if you're not on the same page. And my mom didn't always work, which created tension because as the breadwinner, my dad would also assume the role of the controller, you know, uh, which is not right, but it was, it was you know, they, they didn't have the education to know that like, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> uh, they just had their own sort of experiences and, and upbringings to, to fall back on. And they fell into very traditional roles. But I saw that and quickly recognized the importance of, as a woman especially, having your own financial independence. And I mean, we can fast forward now because like my last book about female breadwinners, When She Makes More, when it came out, people were like, why did you write this book? And I would always say, well, there's this sort of macro issue happening and I wanted to really dive into it and help families and help myself because I'm in this relationship. But I, but one thing that I kind of only realized after the book came out, after like a year or two of promoting it and really reflecting on the process, I was like, damn, th this is the life I designed for myself. I I think I, I pursued a man who made not gobbles and gobbles of money more than me because I always thought that if you married I, I learned that if you married someone who made a lot more than you, which I saw in my, you know, in my families and or in my communities, if the man was the one making a lot more than you, it almost always led to divorce, infidelity, control issues, fighting, power struggles. And I, you know, and which is not not the totality of this of, of what is happening in the world, but that was my perspective. And I think that when I was dating, um, I naturally gravitated towards the, the 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 dates, the men that showed more than just an appetite to make money and to thrive in their careers. So I was a little bit different, but similar in the sense that I always wanted to date someone who hadn't made it yet, because I felt like yeah. if they'd already made it, it would never be ours; it would be his. And so yes. I always oh, pursued yeah. relationships with people who were ambitious, but who not yet made it because I wanted us to make it together. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. 
LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You met your husband when you were quite young, in college, right? We did meet in in college, and I, I at 19, I was seated four seats away from Tim in an evening business class at Penn State. We did not date in college. We did not date even after college. We just remained friends. And then it was until was not until I was about 25 or 26, we reconnected on AOL Instant Messenger. Remember? <laughs> I want to ask something specific around before you got married. Did you talk about money? Oh, yeah. Like, and, and how did you talk about it? Because I, I you know, I, I think you're the primary breadwinner now. Were you always, mm-hmm. did you talk about what that would be like or what it would be like when you had kids? I think that we didn't talk about like so far in the future, how we would design our lives, but we did talk about money. The times that money would come up, 
were during like big moments, whether it was, for example, you know, moving in together. We moved in together a few years into the relationship. So we have to discuss sort of like how are we going to afford this? And, you know, I always say to people, when you're first dating someone, you don't have to come out and just talk about money right away, but you can pick up on certain things. Like what at a restaurant, how do they tip? Like this is, you know, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's a real gateway into their, you know, understanding of not just, you know, are they cheap? Uh, but also like, do they value service and, 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 and do they always want to eat out? Do they, if this person's a kindergarten teacher, but always dressed to the nines and, you know, fancy handbags, like something's going on here. Is there an inheritance I don't know about? Um, <laughs> or do you just have a lot of credit card debt? So sometimes like things just don't add up. So, you you know, how do you talk about it? I think that, again, when you have these opportunities to, when you're going to be sharing big moments together, whether it's moving in together or getting a dog together or, you know, going on a trip together, those are the times to sort of unveil a little bit about your your savings situation, your debt situation. There's a famous scene in the book, When She Makes More, and it's something that I've been repeating a lot uh, as when this conversation comes up. We, about before I moved in, we went to our favorite Mexican restaurant. We, we were going to talk about money. We took post-its to the margarita bar and wrote down our savings, our 401k balance, our debt balances, um, You're fun. <laughs> yeah. And then we switch. We had to have hard liquor at the same time. This was a not, <laughs> a must. And then we swapped post-it notes. At that point, nothing really surprised us. I think that for me, I, I in my mind, always knew how it was going to work out when kids enter the picture. What was that vision? And is that is that your situation today? Kind of. I, I think I envisioned a life where um, – I could I could go back and forth between being a mom and being uh, an earner and and not feel like it was so rigid and um, not to say that my job is completely malleable and flexible. But there's deadlines and all the things, and I have clients and I have accountability. But um, it is, I think, my guess is that it's easier in some ways than had I chosen to continue the newsroom path. How did you first start getting clients? I have an agent. Okay. I have an agent a man, or slash manager who saw me on TV when I was uh, 26 years old. I used to do these 4 a.m. hits on local, I think it was ABC, covering like the pre-market, giving my and, – and he, he was up because he was like giving his daughter a bottle at 4 a.m. and – as a as a TV agent, you just you you flip through the channels, or you did back then to sort of spot talent. And he found me and called me, and we had dinner, and he started representing me. And we've been working together for over ten years. When my book came out, my first book, that completely changed the trajectory because now I was whether I liked it or not an authority. As my literary agent told me, you're an author now, and guess what's in the word authority author. Speaking of being an authority, can you give advice to people who are in relationships like yours where they're the woman is the primary breadwinner? What helps? What makes it make it makes it sing, I guess? So, I think it's important to not assume that the partner making less 
has a job that is less than, that his time is less worthy. Like, you know, you can very easily go down that path of thinking, well, I make more, so my time is more valuable. My meeting is more important than your meeting. And that's not true. And that can, um, you know, I, I, I find myself at moments having those thoughts and I got to quickly like X them out because I'm like, nope, that's not fair. Like he is not just a paycheck. Like your, your spouse is not just a dollar sign. Like they are doing a work that they love. It is more than just, it is rewarding to them beyond the money. It is rewarding to them because it is the path that they have chosen. It's a connection to their colleagues. It's the work that they're putting out in the world. And whether, you know, so it's like if you're a surgeon and your partner's a teacher, both of you're both essential, you know, mm -hmm. and you're both, your time is equally valuable. And so that's important. I would say also that, and I say this, and it may sound crazy that I have to say this in 2020, but I've, it's, it's, it's true. We still believe that it is the man's responsibility to be the primary breadwinner in our marriages. 70% of men and 70% of women in the latest Pew study said that they think men should more than women be the primary breadwinners. Um, wow. So we think we're very progressive. Yeah. And I think that that, and then there was another study this summer that looked at millennial women who are educated, career driven, probably very progressive in their politics, are in marriages where they are deferring a lot of their financial decisions to their spouses. And so we, what, what I'm, the bottom line here is that we, we identify financial roles as masculine or feminine mostly masculine, right? That, that, that Whether you're making the money or managing the money, that that should be the guy's department. So my advice to everybody is don't assign a gender role to who should earn or who shouldn't earn or, you know, there's, there's no, it, take out the general expectations. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, you talked about like, what was your strategy about, you know, having kids and being the breadwinner? There's no need to have a strategy except for this strategy that you're just going to roll up your sleeves and do what's required and do the work and work as a team. You are a stay-at-home mom. You think it's okay to opt out of the workforce for a couple of years because you'll just get back right right back in. What do you say to women like that? It's a choice that they have made. And, you know, I think, but so, but in, in other situations, it may not be a choice for the relationships where maybe the woman wants to go back to work and the husband, you know, stays in the house. What I learned through writing my book, I talked to a lot of relationship experts. Here's the reality. Uh, not all men, but a lot of men will have their egos bruised when they're not working because we they source so much of their sense of identity and pride and sense of accomplishment through work because that's kind of the assignment we've given them. Like men, you work. That's how you earn your worth. That's how you're deemed productive and a contributor. So when that is stripped of them or when they choose not to do that again or for a while, they feel lost at sea. They're like, well, then what's my purpose? What's my, how am I, am I a good husband? Am I providing? Some part of it is not his fault. We have been sort of propping men up to like take on this role. What helps in relationships is to identify that in this relationship, money is just one aspect of being a provider. As women, this is an opportunity to talk to your partner and say, I need your accountability. I need you to provide like use the words that really like, you know, bring it home for them. I want you to be our hero in these realms. Like we need childcare. We need food. We need all of these things. And, you know, 
enlist their accountability, enlist their new, and, and say, this is like, this would be the most important thing to the family. If you kind of put it in that context, um, I think men are more likely to sort of rise to the occasion because we all respond to different language, right? We all respond to different like frameworks. Now there's Facebook groups, there's, you know, making sure where, where you live, you're supported is also important. I think it's more normal than it was five years ago. But I think one thing that, you know, speaking of communities, I'll put in a plug. There's an amazing community called Dad 2.0, which is a corollary to Mom 2.0, which we're all you know familiar with and has been an amazing community for us in our careers. But Dad 2.0 is geared toward fathers who are working um, in the home to take care of their kids. And I think it's, a, it's a, those communities do exist, to your point, right? And I think that says it's normalized. It's becoming more normalized. But it's uh, there are such bigger societal issues here to address around all of this, I think. And now for a quick break. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How should we be talking to our kids about money? I love this question. And it really, it's it's less about how you talk to your kids. It's what you show them, I always say, especially the younger kids, um, because I don't know about you, but my son cannot retain information. Um, I've tried to explain the concept of an allowance to my six-year-old, and he's like, bye, mom. You have to know your kid too. Like if your kid's showing a lot of curiosity about money and they're seven or eight years old, well, then maybe you do take them to the bank and you open up a bank account together and you do kind of talk about um, allowances and how they can earn an allowance. I remember my parents, I asked for an allowance when I was like six years old and they negotiated it with me and uh, it was very empowering. I've written about it. And so I think um, you have to know where your kid's at and, and you know, don't force it down their throats. One of my friends is an entrepreneur and her kids, when they're walking home from anywhere, um, and they live in New York, so they usually will walk past businesses and shops and um, she'll say, okay, uh, tell me why this business might be successful. Tell me why, you know, why that coffee shop is going to do better than that coffee shop. So she's trying to teach them how to like understand and take guesses about like what drive success at business. Like these are, you know, and this is just when they're walking, no pressure, just like, and the kids have fun with it. You know, if you were going to, there's like a force for lease, you know, what would you open up here? What would be a good business to open up here? So um, just keeping that top of mind that there's always an opportunity to have a natural, easy conversation about money or business with your kids, um, showing through your modeling. If you do have an argument about money with your partner and your kids happen to be within earshot, I think it's important that you show how you resolved it. And that's of any like any argument. I think I read a study that was like arguing in front of your kids isn't the bad part. It's the when you don't resolve the argument in front of your kids. It's, you know, but showing how you came to a decision or you're working through it, I think is is important. Lastly, don't avoid their questions. Respond to that question with their own question, which is what, what makes you curious about this? Just sort of explore it with them as opposed to saying like, not now. Look how uncomfortable most people are talking about money, right? So the more you can make it yeah. a non-taboo subject, the, the healthier your own kids' relationship with money will be. That's the point, right? Just try to normalize it. Those are good tips. Okay, so we end every episode with a lightning round. Um, quick questions, easy answers. Um, what are you reading? What am I reading? Um, oh gosh, clearly not enough because uh, <laughs> I can't think of something off the top of my head. 
I, I t- I'll be very honest with you. It's been a long time since I read a book book. Uh, I am some, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. If I do read, I like to read about pop science or culture or like nonfiction things, but I don't read books for now. How much money would be enough money for you to earn? Oh, wow. I feel like I'm there. You know, I feel like I, I'm very happy and grateful for the income that my business has been able to produce, especially over the last few years. I think I've really found my, I've cracked the, the code for sort of how to, um, and even if I don't make what I'm making now, I've also modeled it out. Like if we make half, like will we be okay? And the answer is yes. We live very below our means for, you know, the income that my husband and I bring in. Um, to to where, Whereas if we didn't make money for a year, we would be okay. But if I were to receive more money, I would try to give it back more. What is your nighttime routine? Okay. If I have no time and maybe I've slept with my contacts on and I've just woken up an hour into it and maybe I have some eye makeup on, I go into the bathroom and I get like makeup wipes or like eye makeup remover and just at least get the mascara off my eyes and then I go back to sleep. But if I have time and I'm not tired, I go in and I remove all my makeup, which normally I don't wear makeup right now, but if I'm doing TV, wash my face, go to the bathroom, put some moisturizer, and go to bed at like midnight after watching way too much Netflix. Who leaves you starstruck? Sally Field, but also Jane Fonda. I have such a love for these older women who even in their like 80s and 90s and maybe I don't know how old Sally Field is, but like who are just doing more than I am, you know, like making the world a better place. And I totally respect that. And I am, and I worship that. They don't make them like Sally Field and Jane Fonda and Betty White anymore, you know, like, will we be those women? I sure hope so. I hope we will have legacies like them. Well, here is Lou with the final question. Hi, Vranush. You know, as you were talking, I was kind of imagining what the world would look like with men with with strollers, uh, like kind of meeting together in a park, like how how some house moms do, you know, having conversations about like diaper blowouts and you know, like like running out of wipes, you know, baby catching tantrums in the in the aisle of the supermarket. You know, I was I was imagining this, you know, it's like you know what that sounds like a a, a world I want to live in right now, you know, because because of we just need something to change, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I wanted I wanted I wanted kind of go into media because I've always wanted to ask someone this question because I stopped watching the news because it's so negative and it does something to my spirit and it and it and it disrupts it. And I want to know why doesn't meet doesn't the news outlets put more positivity in front of us and put those things like and then a snip a sliver of of negativity. Like why why is it so heavy I think I know and I don't I don't think I have the whole answer. I would love for you to work behind the scenes, Lou. I think I think newsrooms could use your perspective. Uh, here's the thing. News is, is, is has become especially the 24-hour news. It it has to keep our attention, right? And and so unfortunately, um, when they use fearful headlines or when they focus on the rare stories that are not necessarily happy but maybe um, outliers and you know dog bites man and versus man bites dog. Like that's the stuff that stops people in their tracks. As humans, I don't know the science, but I have a feeling that we tend to get, we're more attracted or more, 
our interest is more peaked when something is like unusual or fearful or they, the news plays on those emotions. It's it's a form of marketing. And of course, there's a, there's a there's a good bit of like the positive stuff, but I feel like you're right. It is sort of like like the crime is always uh, the top story, and then at the end you get you know who won the baseball game. Um, but that's also on t- intentional because they want they know people want the good news, and so they'll keep that for the very end. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. I Thank hope you for the time. that this made all the sense and. <laughs> It's such a hard topic to really boil down, you know, in in any time frame, you know, the, this whole di- sort of the, the layered complexities of breadwinning. And I will say this, though, like I don't wish for a world where all men aren't working and all women are working. You know, I don't want the reverse model. I think what I want really is for everyone to accept that there's no right or wrong in whatever role you choose. But I do, at the end of the day, still want everyone to be financially independent. So if that means that both parents are working, then that's what I I promote that. I support that. Amen. Um, You know, and so if I had to choose, I would prefer both parents to be working simply because I want everyone to be financially solvent. Financial Um, independence is so critical for a happy life and for a life where you have freedom. Right. So, you know, I don't, want to encourage like all men, you know, to stop working and help your wives out, continue their, their careers. It's, it's like how, you know, I understand there are going to be phases, but the goal should not be to have one person miss out on financial independence. All right. Thank you so much for our news. Thanks everyone. You're welcome. Great to talk to you. Sam, that was such an incredible conversation. I think for me, the big takeaway is how we talk about breadwinning and how it can change and how we need to talk about it and what it means for our families. In my family, you know, between me and my husband, I started out as a primary breadwinner. He took on that role. And now we're kind of somewhere in this flexible middle place, but it's meaningful. What was your money situation in your house growing up? Oh, in my house growing up, we never talked about money. And it was really hard for me to get to a place where I could talk about money. I can talk about wanting to make a lot of money, but it's really hard for me to talk about, you know, my budgeting or saving or paying off my law school loans, all of that. It just was not discussed at my house. What about you? Well, you know, it's funny. My parents always kind of lived above their means, (laughs) if I'm going to be honest about it. (laughs) So, I mean, we always went on these like very elaborate vacations. And then when I was like 23 years old, it just stopped because they ran out of money to take us on these really nice vacations. But I mean, I was always very aware of the fact that my parents like just were, they spent what they had, but we lived a really nice life. But at the same time, my mom would never even accept one penny of credit card debt. And she was obsessed with financial independence for women. So it's weird because it's a funny blend. I remember when I when I married Mitch, like his family was much more frugal. And so we had to find a middle ground and that was definitely a huge challenge for us. And I hope this conversation was helpful to all of us in figuring out how to better tackle those kinds of conversations. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns.
My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 